0: Hello, this is Jaina and Emlyn with another episode of Stories Behind the Scrubs. On this podcast, we interview medical professionals in order to get a better idea of what it is they do and why they do it. We also listen as they tell us their story, recounting how they chose to go into medicine. On today's episode of Stories Behind the Scrubs, we're going to be talking to Natalie Barsoom, medical student at the University of Incarnate Words School of Osteopathic Medicine.
1: Hi! We're finally doing
0: this. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's nice to finally meet you. We're really excited because you're the first medical student we're going to be interviewing. So we're excited to hear things from your point of view. Awesome. If you're ready, we can just jump right into um, like the high school questions. So what were your plans for the future when you were in high school? Were you interested in the medical field or was it something else?
1: So whenever I was in high school, um, I actually wasn't fully sure what I wanted to do. Um, I kind of was like flip-flopping on, um, whether or not I wanted to go into sciences or into, um, arts. Cause I did a lot of things that had to do with like a lot of art forms in high school, but then overall I decided to choose science. So I went to the university of Houston, um, main campus, and, um, I went in fully intending on going to their optometry school. So that's why I selected that, um, college. Um, I also wanted to go to a newer college and University of Houston's pretty, fairly new and it was, uh, you know, uh, tuition was really good and it, it was considered like your, the best bang for your buck kind of school. So I was like, why not? So I went to University of Houston and yeah, that's, I just kind of, that's how it started.
2: And uh, what kind of things did you do for fun? Like hobbies, extracurriculars?
1: Um, in high school or in college? In high school. Oh, I did a lot. (laughs) So um, in high school, I was um, in a lot of things like tennis. I was in the band. Uh, I was in yearbook club. I did um, like the foreign language club. So like Spanish club, French club. Um, I also did um, something. We have like a broadcasting group at our school and it's an actual class that you can put into your schedule. So I did that for, uh, I believe three years. And um, yeah, so a lot of those things took up my time. Everything else was kind of just like, um, oh, I did a, something called Destination Imagination. It's actually something that I still do. Um, I am an alumni, I go judge those. So uh, that's like the biggest thing I've, um, I would say I've continued since um, from
2: like high school.
0: Well, Emily actually does a lot of DI, so she was very excited to hear that. You do? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah,
2: I've been doing DI since I was in first grade.
1: Awesome, awesome. Um, so what is your favorite challenge to do?
2: Um, I would say my team tends to juxtapose between fine arts and scientific. Mm. We really like prop building.
1: Same, we always stuck with like, I think it was always either challenge C or D where it would be the the art one. Um, yeah. Yeah, we really enjoyed those and it feels so validating to kind of like watch... The, um, like community grow and be able to participate in judging so I definitely recommend that once you graduate um, yeah yeah and then you can go to like state as a judge like you can do it a couple times in the regional and then eventually you can go to globals if you want I personally um, so we're about to have our white coat ceremony next week and I had to like request this little alumni pin because I want to represent DI because I love DI I love DI so yeah
2: that's amazing um Mm -hmm. what kind of skills from high school would you say really helped you when you went to college Mm -hmm. i would say multitasking just because i did a lot and
1: so um it's kind of similar in college where you have to juggle a lot i wouldn't say necessarily my school prepared me for how to study kind of how to learn that on my own but it really just depends on what college you go to Um, some colleges will kind of uh, you know be really open and uh, teach you and the professors are really open that's generally smaller colleges. So if you're trying to have, you know, a lot of access to the professors, I would recommend going to a smaller college. But if you um, end up going to a larger college, it's a lot more difficult to get into contact sometimes with your, um, with your professors. Sometimes they'll make good connections. Um, but sometimes they're just really busy. So uh, that was like the one thing is, you know, you go to lecture um, and can only ask a couple questions at the end, but they wouldn't really reach, like if you try to reach out to them, sometimes they wouldn't reach back. So you'd have to go find the information on your own. So that's how I learned how to study actually, um, is that's like the biggest I think hurdle that people go through in college is just kind of relearning how to study for um, college versus uh, high school. Cause high school, that's a little bit different. And yeah, so I think multitasking would be one. And then honestly, I know this sounds crazy, but DI really helped me with a lot um, it made me like very good at, um, you know, just tackling things that, um, a lot of people don't have like good outside of the box skills. So it's like, I can come in with a different perspective. And then also the fact that DI teaches us us how to work on teamwork and stuff, it makes it really helpful when you're doing group projects with people you don't know, which is really common in college or, you know, you're working in college and you have a lot of people with different perspectives and you being open to those. Um, that was another thing that I learned.
0: Yeah. So what would you say, um, it seems like the class size and like availability of like talking to your professors and stuff uh, differs within like smaller schools and bigger schools. Um, But what would you say is one of the biggest differences between high school and college? I think the responsibility changes a lot. It's more on
1: you than your parents telling you to do your homework. Um, Sometimes, you know, uh, you forget to study because of the fact that you don't really have um, homework in some of your classes. I'm not saying I did that, but one of my friends legitimately, um, very intelligent guy, he's going to UT Southwestern, uh, medical school, uh, got a D in his calculus class because it was online and he totally forgot about it for a whole semester. So, um, definitely making sure that, you know, you keep on top of your stuff. That's the difference is, uh, you know, your teachers will constantly remind you, remember you have this page, a paper due on this day in high school professors might not even mention it they might just put it on um, the like syllabus at the beginning and then expect you to have that um, turned in and stuff so
2: yeah so when you weren't of course when you weren't busy juggling schoolwork and studying um, what kind of things did you do in your free time I did work in college uh, so
1: a lot of my free time did go to that I did you know sometimes hang out with my friends Houston's Really big and it has a lot of food. So I would go out and eat a lot. I think that was the biggest pastime that I had. Um, sometimes I would just chill in my room and hang out with my friends. But a lot of the times I actually was studying because it's, um, you know, like do, working a job and then also doing like an 18 to 21 hour um, semester is a little bit, you know, time consuming. So you might not have as much time, but I think that if you want to make time, you'll make time.
0: What was your major when you were an undergrad and what were some of the hardest classes that you took within that major?
1: So my major was, um, I got a bachelor's of science in psychology and I minored in bio. And um, my joke is the only reason why I didn't major in bio was because I didn't want to spend the semester in this um, genetics lab where you had to um, essentially raise fruit flies and they would die so easily. Um, It was awful. My friend did it for a whole semester. He would have to wake up at 3 a.m., go to lab and check if they're like still alive. They took shifts because these fruit flies were just so, um, like they were just, they were so fickle. They would always die. And um, afterwards they would have to create like an 88 page research paper. And I was like, "Eh, have a job. Like as long as I can juggle a completely different major from science, because i'm kind of like chilling off i digress but um when it comes to you wanting to do a medical profession you have to do some classes that are called your prerequisites and it's a big list Um, a lot of people choose to do science course like a science um, major because those classes kind of already fall in line with the majors um, like requirements but on my part i decided to go what we consider like kind of non-traditional and do a psychology major which is um kind of different because we don't really do science like hard sciences and um I would say probably for my honestly I liked all my psychology classes I never had an issue with them so I can't really say that I had one that was hard Um, if you want me to tell you about like a class that was a hard science that was hard I can give you one yeah you could tell us one of those I had the hardest time with just gen chem. I know that sounds terrible. I'm very much a bio person. And if you decide to go into like um, any type of healthcare field and you have to take these prerequisites you'll realize that you favor one over the other. Um, I really liked physics and bio but for some reason I just couldn't stand chem. Similarly, um, organic chemistry too was a little bit more challenging. But again, I think that for me, I just did not mesh well with chem, unfortunately, but organic chemistry is way better. It's a lot more applicable to medicine itself. So um, it's kind of like you're building layers, right? So you have your general um, kind of like, this is basic foundation. And then you use the basic foundation to apply it to organic chemistry and biochemistry. And organic chemistry is kind of like pairing um, this like um, biological to kind of, it's more so chemistry, but it's it's also a little bit of bio, and then biochemistry is actually biochem and physics, and you use that a lot with um, learning about medicines. You use it a lot with learning about body systems, how you know certain molecular levels um, actually work. So they're very applicable. I highly recommend that you know you focus on and excel in those courses because they will be very very applicable to you when you you know decide to go to whatever field you want to go into.
2: Yeah, um, I would say every person that we've interviewed so far has had a different relationship and perspective with organic chemistry, but I like what you had to say about applying it to medicine itself and its different um, like uses. So before you went to medical school, of course, you had to take the MCAT. Uh, how did you prepare for the MCAT and what was your experience?
1: I took a course, but I was kind of in a program where I was kind of forced to take a course and I didn't really like it. Uh, They made me take Kaplan and I don't really work well with that type of structure. I'm more of a self study type of person. And um, I found that I actually took my MCAT more than once, which is quite common. And um, that's fine as long as you show improvement. Um, I don't wanna go down, you wanna go up. That's what we always say, but um, when when you're studying, I think the best thing to do is um, no matter what other people say, you have to know your own truth. You have to understand how you do as a studier. Do you study better alone? Do you study better when somebody tells you the information? Um, I can recommend like resources, but truthfully, um, there's people that would say Kaplan was my staple. There was people that said, Princeton was my staple. There's people who said, I didn't use either. I used Khan Academy. And um, some people didn't read books, some people did. Uh, So I feel like I would be doing an injustice if I were to say like, oh, you know, these are the resources you have to use. I can tell you what my resources were. I used um, things like the Princeton, um, kind of like some of the Princeton question books. Um, I believe I used, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like exam crackers. I honestly did a lot of um, kind of like, I studied questions um, because, oh, you know what? I, I just remembered something. So, um, I highly recommend this when you go, this is something that I didn't do, but I wish I did. And now I'm doing it and it's helping me a lot. Um, when you get into college, there isn't something called the AAMC, like MCAT book. Um, I can send you the link to it, but it's a book that tells you exactly what subjects you need to know for the MCAT. And so the reason why this is important is when you're going through your classes, your coursework in college, you can just uh, open up the book and see what is high yield and kind of like focus on the information, really try to understand it and synthesize it so that when you're going back to study for the MCAT, which is generally between your third and fourth year if you wanna go non-traditional, right? So you're still in classes, you still have to study for other stuff. So it'll make it easier for you rather to, than to relearn the information to actually just have to recall it. Um, I, I also would recommend get, um, kind of going and looking into um, a card. Like it's a flashcard app called Anki. You can download cards um, that people already made. So you don't have to make any cards and it can, you can find high yield content um, and start from your like the beginning of your first year in college and go all the way into when you're studying for the MCAT. And I think that it would really be beneficial to whoever's studying to um, you know, end up in medical school. So those are the, I think the two staple things I would recommend and also ensuring that you take, um, I believe like at least, our role was at least take like um, five MCATs, like practice um, beforehand, but I took 13 because I am not a good test taker. So I wanted to be sure That I knew how to answer these questions because they're very different from um, how professors approach questions and how like others like my my high school did not set me up for them obviously Um, I have. Like I grew up knowing two languages so English is not my strong suit or was not, Um, and so I had to train myself to get good at reading those questions and understanding what they're asking.
0: Yeah, well, that was really helpful because a lot of the people that we've interviewed, um, it's been years since they took the MCAT and they don't always remember what they did or what was helpful. And it's not always the same as it will be like when we take it or as it is now. Um, So that was a really good outlook. Um, But when you uh, apply to medical schools, I've heard you have to apply to a ton and you don't always get into all of them. It's a very um, kind of intense period trying to figure out where you want to go. So could you tell us a little bit about where you're going to medical school and Um, kind of your process of applying and how you chose this one.
1: Um, Okay, sure. Sorry, I say I'm a lot, and I talk a lot, so just let me know if I'm going too fast or anything. Um, Kind of just to, before um, we go into that, I kind of want to dissect something. So uh, there are several different um, application processes that you can go into, depending on where you are, like your location. One of them is the TM-DOS, which is the Texas Medical... Um, kind of, it's the, it's essentially the Texas Medical School's application process. However, if you're trying to go to Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, um, it goes through the AAMC, which is the people who make MCAT. And that one is is kind of for the rest of the nation. The only other application process that's different is um, the DO1, which is the ACOMAS. And they all work a little bit differently. I will say that the way that um, the TM DOS works is that it works in a match-based system. So you you kind of you can get pre-accepted into some of those medical schools. Um, but for the most part, people go through the application process and whatever schools they interview, they rank, and then those schools rank them, and then that's how they match into the schools. For ACOMAS. It's different. You get accepted to however many schools you want and you can uh, like, essentially put in a deposit to hold your place and you can choose whether or not to go into whatever schools you get accepted to. So that's kind of the difference. I can't speak for a, uh, AMC because I actually haven't gone through that process. So I can kind of give you a little bit of a route of how I actually ended up in DO school. Um, whenever I was going in <laughs> to um my graduating year i was kind of like done i knew i needed a break i was burnt out and so just like i'm not gonna apply i am just gonna take a break my sister was like natalie you're crazy you know you got the stats just do it <laughs> um but i was just so tired and so i took a year off and um that's when i applied first time to both tam and to a a comas And something just didn't feel right. I felt like I was very dismotivated still. um, And I just didn't really feel like the passion that I had for um, medical school was really there. So I decided that I was going to um, kind of like do a little bit more, uh, I guess, like shadow based work and see what it is that I was kind of missing because I felt very, for some reason, just stuck. And that was when I went and started working at a DO's office. Now I already knew what a DO was. I knew what, you know, their kind of uh, practices are because my sister actually um, is just graduated from a DO school. So she was in a DO school at the time. And um, kind of just, you know, working with him and trying to understand what DO really stands for was when my like light switch clicked and I was like, this is what I was missing. This is what I want. And so the next application round, I was ready. I only applied to ACOMAS. I disregarded MD, did not want to do MD anymore, just wanted to do DO. And, um, after I believe we submit applications in, I want to say June or July, but within August I was already accepted into my first school. And so it just kind of kept rolling after that, going to interviews and acceptances and kind of having these options, choosing what I wanted out of a medical school. And um, I believe that the thing that really kind of, when it comes down to it, when you're choosing, when you have options, um, you're, it really just depends on you, what you want. Uh, I know people who they got into one place and that's the place they go. And we always say that the best medical school is the one you get into. So it is a medical school. It is accredited. It, it's going to teach you what you need to know. And if it doesn't, you're going to teach yourself. It doesn't matter. You're going to become a doctor. So don't get disheartened. If you go to the place that you didn't, wasn't your first choice, the school's still excellent enough to be held to the same standard they all get accredited by the same standards. So just know that. Um, and so I, what came what, for me, what it came down to was what's the location. So, um, I had two that were fairly close to my home. I didn't want to go too far, but I also didn't want to be like super close because I get distracted by my fam. So, <laughs> um, and the second thing was, was what was the, what was the curriculum like? How was I going to be taught? And I realized that with the school that I go to, which is University of Incarnate Words, School of Osteopathic Medicine, they do something called like a Socratic method based style teaching. And the way that works is you come in knowing the information and you have a conversation with each other. And I'm very much the type of person who studies on my own. And that's just how I work. I don't I don't do well studying with others um, unless I'm like reviewing information. And I don't do well having somebody lecture at me. I have to just do it on my own. And so for me, that's like it gives me the flexibility to be able to study on my own, go into class, synthesize the information, bring it to a higher level than just base value, and just really solidify that information. And yeah,
2: so that's how I ended up here in San Antonio. That, that's, I just found it so interesting, like how you took us through the step-by-step process and that you gave us the information about how it's on a personal level and not just, you know, here's how we make all these little medical school robots, because I know a lot of people that say like, you know, you have to apply to these top medical schools. You have to follow this very traditional path that's gotten these many people in, but I really like your perspective on it. And um, we just wanted to know like, what does the first year of medical school entail?
1: So um, just to to touch on one thing that you just said, um, a personal recommendation. I know that, you know, not everybody does this. I have plenty of friends who took traditional route and went to uh, medical school immediately afterwards. Uh, What I found was uh, my friends who are now third years are severely burnt out because they tried to push through. I'm, I'm a firm believer of take a break even though you don't know that you need a break. Um, a lot of medical schools do appreciate when you take time off and show that you have, you know, perseverance and you want to take um, kind of like uh, become, you know, kind of mature yourself a little bit more before heading into medical school. And I think that really did help me with my first year. So my first year was a little bit different than um, a lot of other, I guess, medical school first years. I was one of the um, COVID kids. So uh, a lot of med school is actually on Zoom. Now, I mean, I'm very much used to doing online classes because I would have to take my psych classes online while I did my um, hard science classes in lecture. So I w- it was something that I was used to. Now, for other people, they did not like that. But you got you to gotta work with what you got to work with. Um, For me, I never had like a moment where I was in first year where I was really stressed or anything. I think that when you, you know, go in and you know that, you know, you have like confidence in yourself, um, you don't have imposter syndrome, then it it goes pretty smoothly. And I will say that I think that my first year went a lot smoother than, um, some other people's first years. A lot of people struggled with imposter syndrome. Do I actually belong here? Um, do I deserve to be here? And I'm just going to say it, um, you got accepted just like everybody else. This wasn't a mistake. You deserve to be here, and I think that's what people fail to realize too. Um, so our, I guess I can kind of give you like a little bit of an overview of how first year kind of goes. It's kind of similar to second year. So our first two years are didactic courses. They teach us in um, a system based like format. So we start with, we started with musculoskeletal system. Then we went into, I believe, um, heme-onc and heme stands for like blood, onc is kind of cancer. So um, that, that was one unit that we moved into immuno. And the last unit we had was, um, what was the last unit? GI, sorry. Everything kind of like gets meshed together. So yeah. Um, so uh, we, we kind of went in, I think every eight weeks or so, we spent eight weeks learning about all of this content and then we would take a test at the end. For our tests, it's a little bit different. I know a lot of med schools, they do um, kind of like the uh, multiple choice. Our school is um, open response or free response. You have to type out your responses and essentially that's how you're graded. So that's, uh, and it's like a six hour exam, which is kind of egregious, but it prepares you. It'll prepare you for long exams when you have to take your board. So I'm not complaining. Uh, And so that's for the like hard science base. You go into lecture, you learn all that, um, all the information that you need to know about the certain kind of like pathology, physiology. Um, that's one aspect of it, and then you also have to go into lab and learn about you know like anatomy, right? So you have to put the the information into the region that you're going um, that you're looking at and trying to understand what am I looking at? Cause a lot of the time you think, oh yeah, that's like, that's the small intestine. And then you open, you know, the patient, well, we call them donor bodies, but we open the donor body up and we're like, I don't know what I'm looking at. And um, I will say, I still have difficulty telling the difference between a nerve an artery and a vein. Um, <laughs> I'm the first one to admit it. Um, but uh, yeah, that's like another one of our classes that we had and uh, there is like clinical classes we have as well. So it teaches us how to, you know, perform a physical exam or how to perform kind of like extracting information from the patient, kind of, you know, getting their background or kind of getting information clues. Cause sometimes the patient, we always say that the patient will tell us what's wrong with them. Um, so like we don't really always need to, um, I guess, like do all these tests. We can kind of pinpoint what exact tests we can, we should do based off of what the information that the patient gives us. And uh, I believe that's all of the classes. Oh, and then there's one other class. Sorry, this is my favorite class. Actually, I don't know why I forgot this, but (laughs) we do small groups where we um, kind of look at cases, try to extract information out of them. And we go research the case on our own and come back and kind of do that Socratic method where we talk it out. And um, that's a lot of fun. Because it's uh, just like a little bit of a different mix up which we like to play games when we do it and you know everybody takes turns playing a different role so it's a a lot of fun. And um, kind of with the clinical thing, we also do, and this is where uh, I know that one of the questions is like what's the difference between MD and DO and this is kind of where it differs, so a lot of medical schools do the things that I've explained. Um, If they don't, then like that's weird because all medical schools should be doing that. The only difference is we do an extra class and it has to do with osteopathic manipulative treatment or osteopathic manipulative medicine. So we call it OMT or OMM. And so what we do is we learn how to diagnose patients with uh, somatic dysfunctions and essentially the best way I can explain a somatic dysfunction is like you have um like a musculoskeletal issue that is kind of bringing you pain or it is it's indicating some type of visceral or like within the abdomen um kind of uh issue it's it's everything's kind of connected in the body I think that really like comes back to the four tenets of osteopathic medicine, which is the body, the mind, the spirit. It's one unit. It's, it's the body as a whole. The mind is contributing and the spirit. So we don't just treat the body, right? We treat, you know, the patient, we treat their soul. The second thing is, is that, you know, the body is self-regulatory, you know, it can heal itself. It has capabilities. So we don't always want to jump to pharmaceuticals. Right? We want to try to like bring it back to as much as normal as we can, and then try to see if we can help mitigate some of the pain or some of the discomfort, some of the symptoms that they're experiencing. Doesn't mean that we, we think we're 100% curing this patient and that we shouldn't give them medication. We're just trying to bring them to as much of normal as possible so that they don't have to rely on medication as much. And the last, or actually there's two more tenants, but I think the last one kind of just connects all of them. The third one is, is that, um, structure and function are interrelated, which means that if, if the structure is the way it is, then that's how the functional work. I know that sounds really weird, but it's like every, every structure in the body has a purpose and, um, every, like I, that's kind of the best way I can explain it. It's, it's hard to like try to explain it. It's more one of those things where you kind of get it. Um, but the last thing is, is we use that treatment to, and we use all of those top three tenants to treat the patient with the understanding of those top three treatments. And that's really the difference between osteopathic medicine and and allopathic medicine is that one distinctive feature. And, um, I feel like a lot of people think we're chiropractors. We're not (laughs) chiropractors, um, have a firm belief that like, a lot of the times I'm not saying they all do. Um, they do sometimes use osteopathic treatments to treat patients, but a lot of them think they can hundred percent correct, like whatever the patient's issue is with chiropractic treatment. And that's not the case. Like osteopaths don't believe that we just try to, um, you know, like help bring the body back to its normal is the goal. And, um, we don't always do like the crazy, like neck cracking. Sometimes it's just like um, what we call like myofascial release. So, you know, you got like this knot in um, your back. Well, we can help release that, uh, kind of like, like it's kind of a shortened muscle and it kind of bulges. That's what that knot is. So we kind of help release that, you know, you're getting a lot of pain in that area. Oh, we can just really, you don't need medication. We can just kind of help you release it like that. Or, Oh, my neck, I feel like I have a crick, you know? And so I'm like always standing like this. Um, so we can help, with using what we call high velocity low amplitude which is just a funny like i think it's a funny way of saying that we very gently guide your your um joint back into the place that it's supposed to be cuz sometimes it's stuck um but yeah it's it's a lot of things i could go like all day and talk about it so um uh, i don't want to like you know drag on too much
0: about it yeah well that was interesting cuz i thought there'd be um i don't know not really knowing a lot about the difference. I thought it would be a bit bigger. Um, But it's interesting to see that they're actually very similar, except for a couple, um, you know, beliefs that you guys have. Um, But I saw that, like it said that most students still tend to go through the traditional like medical doctorate path, um, but that osteopathic medical schools are starting to grow in popularity. And you may not know the answer to this question, but why do you think um, becoming a DO is starting to gain so much popularity?
1: Yeah. Um, I think we live in a society right now that is very health conscious. Um, I think we have the luxury of being health conscious in this particular, um, you know, country. And uh, a lot of people are very self-aware about medications. Um, they read up a lot, you know, they don't always want to have to, um, rely on a pill for something. And, um, osteopaths believe in a lot of like holistic style medicines. So, you know, <clears throat> sorry. Um, I know that we had a lot of patients that would come in that actually would rely on Chinese medicine to mitigate some of their issues. And, um, we accepted, you know, that that's like the type of treatment that they wanted. And we would give them, you know, um, kind of beneficial information about supplementation, uh, what they can take. And, um, I think that that's what people are like leaning more towards. It's like, what's a healthy, uh, a healthy way, but also like a natural way to be able to avoid um, having to rely on medication. So I know that, you know, there's, um, I might be saying saying this wrong, but our patients would come in and they would complain of like, um, I believe like hypertension and uh, it wasn't like super strong. They And so we recommended they would try something called Beluke, which is, um, it's made from a type of worm actually. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but it's like uh, something that's natural that they could try to take instead of immediately relying on medication just because they're a little bit hypertensive. Um, Or actually, I think it was a blood thinner. Don't call me on that. This is a very rare like supplement. This is not something that you go into the grocery and store and get. Uh, I'm pretty sure actually it was a blood thinner. and People did not want to go on aspirin for it. But um, yeah, I thought it was so bizarre. But it's sometimes it makes sense. You know, Um, there's patients that would come in and they would be complaining of like a lot of um like uh, kind of mold situations where they were exposed to mold. And a lot of the way, ways that you kind of get that out of your body is actually with a um, molecule called glutathione. Your body naturally makes it, your liver synthesizes it, but you can run out of the stores really easily. so we'd recommend patients to take that sometimes or give them IV. So it's kind of like that. It's um, uh, not like, you know, it's, it's something that's controlled. know we're not dosing the patient with like high levels of like essential oils it's not that we don't recommend essential oils but it's um very uh how we say it's uh what is the word i always get this wrong it's like research stuff it's stuff that we know works and um yeah so i guess that's like the other difference but i know there's a lot of mds that kind of work in that similar fashion um and i think that's like kind of why DO is starting to grow is because people see like they want to go to a school that teaches them how to like take care of a patient and not just take care of a symptom and I'm not saying I'm not saying that MD schools don't teach you how to take care of a patient whatsoever I am just saying that DO as I know emphasizes it heavily um, and really tries to teach you a lot of like Um, philosophical and compassionate things. And so I think that adds an extra layer. Also DO is fairly new in comparison to MD. So they've had a good head start. Um, I think it's, it's only been recently, I believe that, you know, within the past like 50 years or uh, maybe I'm living in like 2000s. It's probably within the past 60, 70 years that we have been able to actually practice in all of the state's in America. So it is a fairly new thing. It's within the past, like since the 1990s, 1910s, I believe. Um, and so you have to like take that into perspective too. Oh, I forgot to mention, <laughs> it might it might help that um, also because like, uh, so we do have residencies that are specific for DOs, or we used to, but now we have something that has happened where it's called a merger. And so MD and DO residencies kind of no longer exist. It's, if you go to an MD school or you go to a DO school, you just apply to the, re, like those, those places. they can be like historically MD or historically DO, but anybody can apply to any of them. And DOs used to be able to apply to MD residencies, but MDs could never apply to DO because you needed to know OMT. And um, there was no way to test them on OMT, right? Cause they never had the classes, but now it's like we've become more unionized and like it's, you know, um, more like one. So now I guess we're kind of getting more blurriness, right? Which is important because we, we shouldn't distinguish the two to the point where it's like one's inferior to the other. They're both very much equal.
2: Well, thank you for that. I think it was very helpful for um, a lot of people who are curious about the difference between MD and DO. You definitely went into a lot of um, depth on that. And we just wanted to take a step back and we noticed that you had said that you lost some of your passion uh, like coming out of college before you had applied to your cycle of medical schools. And we were just wondering like where that passion was rooted and uh, what you think like affected it.
1: So like I said, whenever I first came to um, University of Houston, I had wanted really just to go into optometry because um, at the time, I believe it was considered like the top like third optometry school in the nation. So it was very, you know, I'm going to go in, I'm going to do the, like all the prerequisites and get in and become an optometrist. And I guess I slowly realized that, and this is nothing to say anything about optometrists. You know, the reason why I wanted to go into optometry is because I have a lot of eye problems and I was around a lot of optometrists whenever I was growing up. So I knew that they treated me and I wanted to be that type of person to somebody else um going into like more of my classes and going especially into kind of like anatomy and physiology type classes i realized that the eye wasn't the only thing i was interested in i wanted to be able to go deeper into depth about what it was that was um essentially ailing people like just understanding to like the molecular level the chemical level um what was causing all of this. And so I kind of like took a step back. I believe it was in my sophomore year and I was torn. I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I want to do optometry. I don't know if I want to do medicine, uh, or like, I'm uh, sorry. Uh, med school, I would say medicine, but I know it's all medicine. Um, but like, I, I remember laying on my bed at one point and, um, I was just so kind of like in this like twilight zone type moment I just I needed a sign I needed I needed some type of divine intervention I already talked to optometrists and they were like you seem like an intelligent person you should definitely go into um you know like you should go into something that where you could like really use your use your brain and um you know like whether it be optometry or like medical school you should just you know, do it. And so i got like good perspectives from both. I told myself I never wanted to work at a desk and that was the only thing that I would be um, happy not doing. Um, and so I'm, I am religious. Um, I prayed for a sign and I said that I was like, God, I need you to smack me in this, the face with the sign. I remember saying that (laughs) and, um, uh, I, the next day I got an interview for, um, like a medical scholarship. Um, and so I was like, okay, that's the side, like, cool. <laughs> We're good to go. Um, and so ever since then I was a hundred percent on medicine. I didn't turn back. And, um, yeah, I guess the reason why I kind of like felt, uh, kind of just like dismotivated. I think it was really just cause I was burnt out. Um, and it feels it's, honestly, it's kind of funny. I chose to take a year off. And then I, I saw all of my friends who had gone on, like had gone traditional route and they were just going through medical school. And now they're 30 years, um, going into a fourth year and I was a first year going into a second year. Right. Um, but watching them, you know, kind of like progress further in their journey, kind of made me envious and a little bit dismotivated that first year that I was out. Um, truthfully, I mean, I can't, I, I can't really associate it with anything other than those two things. It, it kind of makes you feel like, oh, like, did I make the wrong choice? Did I get lazy? Did I, do I actually deserve to be here? And that's kind of when the imposter syndrome for me sank in. So thankfully I went through all of that. And then by the time I got into medical school, I was like, no, nope, I deserve to be here. <laughs> Anybody else that says otherwise, I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of how uh, I guess like it happened. I think, you know, Um, It it takes a lot of like maturity and um, understanding to realize that everybody is going to have their own path to getting into medical school, getting into nursing school, getting into dentistry school, all of these schools. It is not easy. None of them are easy to get into. And that's what, you know, um, people fail to realize that they're putting themselves under a lot of pressure and feeling inadequate even though what they're doing is something that's phenomenal. And it's higher than it's, it's greater than average. You know, this isn't mediocrity, right? But you feel like mediocrity because you're putting yourself, you're set, like surrounding yourself with all these really intelligent people. And um, so you just have to understand, you have to recognize that you cannot compare yourself to other people. You are your own unique individual person. And if you don't understand something, it's not because you're dumb or inadequate. It's because you think differently. Everybody thinks differently. Um, I, I One of my best friends, he um, graduated from DeBakey um, High School, which is a very, like, um, it's very strong on, like, trying to magnet people towards healthcare. Um, it's a public school, but DeBakey, um, I don't, do y'all know who DeBakey is?
0: Yeah, we know a little bit, yeah. Yeah, so he's one of
1: the first, um, kind of, like, surgeons to really try to like ignite uh, like endovascular, vascular surgery, like kind of defining it from cardiothoracic surgery. And he was, I mean, he was nuts, but like he really like pushed forward a lot of medicine, a lot of this aspect of medicine. And um, so they made a school after him. And so he graduated from Tabaki. And before he was a freshman in high school or uh, in college, he had taken his MCAT and scored a 42 out of 45, which is extremely high. Yeah. And so, like, imagine surrounding yourself around those types of people and then, like, realizing, like, you have to realize that you're, you're different. You think differently. So, like, for him, he really excels in sciences. But for me, I really excel in things like psychology or, like, art. And so I use, you have to just find a way to use it to your advantage and use it to ignite your motivation to pursue whatever you're pursuing
0: yeah well i think it's perfect that you mentioned that um like everybody's different they all have their strong suits and even like surrounded by all these people who you think are like better than you you just have to kind of use um kind of what you're strong with to like just keep fueling your passion and getting yourself towards your goal Um, but in medical school did you um like we are kind of interested in some of your methods for studying in medical school and whether they were different or similar to what you used in undergrad. Yeah, Um,
1: I definitely studied. So this is what I always say. You're going to teach yourself how to study like from uh, from high school to college. You're going to have to teach yourself how to study. If you solidify how to study in college, you can kind of translate that over to medical school and kind of just rev up the, the, um, the gas on it. Um, I didn't really change how I studied. I think I changed, um, kind of maybe the efficiency in which I studied. I used to study really hard and not smart. So I would study for six weeks for an exam. And, um, then I would like one of my friends he would, I love him to death, but I would get so irritated because we would study all like we would study right before the exam. He would study the day of the exam. He would be chilling, my guys, chilling. And he would study the day of the exam. And then he would get a better score than me. And I would just be like, I can't believe it. And so that's the difference is understanding like what's what's the way that works best for you? What is what is the smart way to study? Um, just because you're studying smart doesn't mean you're studying lazy, right? You're just doing what works best for you. So I will say that with the things that work for, best for me, um, like I said, I don't do well in lecture-based um, kind of like settings. Um, I can sit for a lecture. I will doze off. I will like daydream. Um, and so I just, I don't work well with that. I usually um, go to like resources that I know are board heavy. Um, I focus on high yield topics. I really study, like I'm studying for the boards in the sense that I focus the information that I'm studying for the boards. Um, and this is another reason why I came to the school. It's pass fail. So I can like do as good in this, you know, like as like minimal as possible to continue to pass. And I know this sounds like, oh, like you're like lazing off. No, it's pass fail. Like I'm still studying the information that for the system, I'm studying the information in a high yield, like in a high yield way. I'm just not necessarily focusing on like the minutia, the minute details that the, sometimes the professors want us to know that might not necessarily be pertinent. Not to like disregard what the professors say. I will, you know, I will double speed the lecture and see if I pick up anything that I missed while I was studying. Um, but I'm like, I know a lot of my friends work differently, right? They like cling on to every single word that the, the, we call them actually facilitators. We don't call them professors because they facilitate the conversation. They don't really lecture at you. Um, so like the facilitators, the conversation that we have, they will like cling on to everything that everyone says. You have to pay in mind, this is a group full of medical students and they all like studied for this. But right before coming to class like the night before you can't take everything that they're saying and and the facilitators will correct sometimes, but I think it's going to be very different now that we're in class. Um, I know that they're probably going to be doing a lot less of like the correction They kind of like were a lot nicer to us, I feel like because we were on zoom. Um, But I have a feeling like they're, they're not going to give us the answers as easily as we want them to. And um, so yeah, they they And they do well and they, you know, recall the information fine. I think I just want to focus on um, really like going hard on the things that I know are high yield and kind of similarly to the advice that I gave y'all with the AAMC book, when you get into college and start focusing on those high yield things, it really does help because now I'm able to have conversations about information that I learned like last year this time right? And it's like being able to, to retain that information in your head, that small little detail, right? Like that, um, this one disease has this one specific marker on it that we use to test, you know, it's easy to forget, but by using stuff like Anki every day as a staple, going to things like boards and beyond pathoma, um, we have another one called sketchy medicine. That we use and it uses a lot of like um pictures um that are actually really helpful and if you combine that with Anki, it's extremely beneficial um yeah so i i that's essentially like what i use i also use a lot of textbooks my my favorite one is um Robins and cotran i actually have it like right next to me i always tell people this is my boyfriend i think it's like a thousand well without the index it's like a thousand like three hundred yeah 1,330 something. So it's really, it's it's got a lot, but it's got a lot of good, rich content that's very actually like, it helps you synthesize the bullet points that you see in the high yield topics. And that's kind of what you want to do. You want to see, you know, like you want to get the full picture and then you want to extract the bullet points from it. And, but you still want those bullet points to remind you of the full picture, right? And that's kind of how sketchy works, right? So they give you the little bullet points, but they kind of tell you what's going on. Um, in the background on like how something um, happens. So yeah, uh, if you're a textbook reader, I recommend you like if you like the textbooks at hand, buy the textbooks, just invest. You're already wasting your money. Um, you're already indebted your soul to the government <laughs> with all the money that you've, you've now spent. Um, so why not a couple more? But if you're good with ebooks, generally your school will probably provide all of the ebooks for you once you're in medical school, not necessarily for college.
2: Yeah, I think that was definitely very helpful. I know Jade and I both have a friend that is similar to your friend and will study the night before while we study for a week in advance. And it's so frustrating that when they do better, of course, but um, I've, I've heard of Sketchy Medical before, and it's like the really interesting. I guess it's like drawings, but it, it's got like a ton of information packed within one. Um, so we just wanted to wrap up this interview with the last question we ask all of our um, guests. And it's just what is the day in the life of a DO medical student like?
1: I feel like I'm like, awesome. I feel like I'm going into um, like one of those, you know how like med school vlogs are a big thing right now? hmm um, I feel like this is like my moment to shine with my med school blog. Somebody told me to make a med school blog and I was like, I don't think that's productive. I don't <laughs> think that's going don't, to, I don't think I'm going to do well in medical school if I, if I, I can't multitask that good. Um, I don't know how they do it, but, um, yeah, so I guess it depends. I can give you kind of like a summer breakdown of what I do. And then also like during the school year. So during the school year, generally wake up. Um, and the first thing I do is, um, my handy dandy on my phone, ready to go. My Anki cards, the new Anki cards that i matriculated in for the day. And I start working on those. I usually wake up early. I'm quite a, a quite an early bird. And so it actually helps wake me up a little bit because I'm usually groggy in the morning. So I'm like, Ugh. um, but it's one of those monotonous things that like, if you know the card, you can like, it just helps solidify it. Um, and then it'll help you like kind of wake up. So I do that for a bit and then um, I'll get up, you know, get get ready and then I'll come sit here because this is Zoom school. But otherwise I would just walk over across class because I live at the apartment complex. Like it's like walking distance. Like I'm my apartment faces the school and uh, I would walk to class and uh, it just depends on the class. Uh, but I would go to class from, um, I mean, are we trying to skip class? Are we trying to skip? <laughs> usually? Usually, I didn't. I didn't go to class. Um, I would watch the lectures like uh, afterwards because you can double speed, triple speed them. So it's a lot more efficient than sitting two hours and you know, kind of like dozing off. It's it helps you um, keep focus when you're listening to it at an increased speed. So again, I'm still watching the lectures. It's just me sitting there isn't beneficial at all to me. So I would go to SIGS, which is the small group, and then I would afterwards uh, go back to doing Anki until 12. I would eat lunch with my roommate, and then I would decide what I was going to do for the day. Um, I'm terrible at keeping, like, what is it, those, like, little, like, planners, but I'm trying to do it. I, I need to do it. I need to get better at that. Usually, I just, like, leave a sticky note around, or my um, my desk is, like, expo marker writable, so I would just, like, write it on the side, but um, always getting the, the number one thing I always do is I have to get, um, my Anki cards done for the day. Cause if you fall behind the, the algorithm doesn't work. So it's like you're starting over. So you don't want to do that. So making sure I finish Anki, um, depending, usually I finish around two o'clock and then I will start to, um, go over like information that, um, like just kind of like review and then also learn. Um, if it was like the night before a SIGS case, I would study that for two hours and I don't give myself any more than two hours. Um, I would just really try to solidify it, open the Anki cards for it, study the Anki cards. And then um, I would try to do like some of the large group stuff. And usually it's kind of it's kind of difficult to explain like what exactly I'm studying because it, it really truly varies per day. Um, so I would just say that I study from... You know that 10 a.m period two hours take a little break to eat then continue to study all throughout the day i usually cap out about it like i would say like seven or eight i'm not like i don't really have much brain power around that time um so then once i'm like completely out then i'll like take i'll like eat dinner take a a little bit of time to kind of like just like do whatever i want to do usually it's cleaning and then um i will do my nightly routine and i will sit in bed and do anki until i'm completely done and then pass out so i know that sounds really boring but when you are enjoying the information that you're learning you don't find it boring um at all and it's very engaging And I think that's also one of the reasons why, even though we're in summer break, like we have nothing to do. I am still studying every day because I need to continue to like remind myself of the information while also learning new information. So my, um, just kind of like to tie it off, my summer is a little bit different because I've decided to like shadow. So um, I would say like, it really only consists of either going into the OR all day or clinic and then coming home and doing Anki. So I, and then I'll do Anki until like, I don't know, I go to sleep about like two or three and then I'll wake up at six. And I know that sounds crazy, but yeah, you're, your your brain is like, it's crazy how, how like how much you can do on such little sleep sometimes. Um, only sometimes though, (laughs) um, Or on days that I'm off, like today, I will study kind of like all day and it'll be like, we're about to go back into the unit, like this upcoming unit, so I'm pre-studying the the information um, before going in. So that's kind of what I'm doing. And it's the same thing, like all day, wake up, study, and then just do kind of like a similar fashion where you're just studying all day, but there's no class involved.
0: Yeah, well, thank you so much for, sh- like, for sharing your story with us. Um, we definitely enjoyed talking to you and hearing some of your advice. And um, we definitely liked like, hearing your perspective versus people who had already graduated and are already practicing in the medical field. Um, and it gave us a really good idea of what life as a medical student is like today. Um, if you're interested, we'd love to like, continue to talk to you um, later on uh, throughout medical school or maybe residency or when you become um, a doctor and start practicing on your own. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all we have for now.
1: Awesome. I, you know, this was really efficient. I, this was great guys. Thanks for letting me ramble for a whole hour by myself. That was awesome. Um, yeah. I, I had a lot of fun. I appreciate, you know, you guys doing this and I'd be more than happy to, um, you know, do this again. I mean, yeah, I, I certainly enjoyed it. And um, I think that it's nice to Uh, like get a perspective from somebody who's a lot fresher in than somebody who's, you know, yeah. Cause even me, I'm only, what is it? Like I'm only like now a second year, but I've only been out for three years. So like, I think I took, I used like exam cracker, like, okay. So it's like two, three years. Right. And I couldn't even remember exam cracker. I was like, what was that thing called? So, you know, like you'll start to realize that a lot of things And even like common knowledge, you'll forget because you're, you're like trying to learn so much information and that's okay. You have to understand that, like, you're going to forget other things and just know that like, you know, it's not that important. It's fine. Medicine's way more important. So, (laughs) um, thank you for allowing me to speak my truth. Um, I'm going to go study. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy the rest of y'all's day. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) of course and again if y'all ever um you know want to do another one of these or just want to have questions anything like that just let me know I'm always um available okay of
2: course thank you so much thank you for everything
1: of course y'all guys have a good one
2: thank you for listening to this episode of stories behind the scrubs if you haven't already listened to the last episode with the Child Life Specialist Dana Swan, set aside some time to check that out. If you look forward to hearing our next podcast, click the subscribe button and be sure to follow our Instagram at Stories Behind the Scrubs.